You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have a great guest with me here today, Mike Elder of Elder Law out of LA. Mike, my team, when they prep me for these podcast episodes, they give me notes. They underline one word, successful. They looked at you from different angles of life, and you are really what so many others aspire to be. You're successful. Your PI firm did something like $2.5 billion in less than 23 years, which is unusual for a relatively small PI law firm. You're married to your business partner. You have four kids. You're healthy. You're working out like crazy. You got a rich. You got it all. What, and you had a very close relationship with your dad, I understand, who was a minister. What are the guiding principles? What did you learn from your dad that led you to such a successful life? Well, more important than the $2.5 billion, you left out two other kids. I've got six between me and my wife. So. Six kids. Right. I did not know. <laughs> they told me four. So I, I had coffee with my daughter who just started UCLA and then went home and fed the six-month-old baby a bottle. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a full circle thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry. What was the question again? <laughs> so the question was, I understand that you were very close with your dad. Yes. And I asked you, what are the three guiding principles that he may have taught you early on that led you to leading such a successful life yourself? Well, he taught them to me, but I don't know that I would say he taught them early on. Well, he did teach them early on. I just didn't realize it until later, right? And I think like many of us, our parents got smarter the older we got, right? And certainly that was the situation with me. But, you know, growing up, with um, a teacher and a, a preacher for a father and a mother. You know, in the South, I learned uh, do unto others as you would have done to yourself, right? I learned that giving is the highest form of living. And I just kind of didn't know that that was not the way to live. So when I moved to LA, that was just part of my DNA. And, you know, the two of the mottos that I kind of started with was to give and you receive back a thousandfold, right? But I changed that to give unconditionally. Give unconditionally, you will receive back a thousandfold. And the reason I did that was it's like, you know, you know, half the people give money to people on the street. The other half don't. The half that don't say they're just going to take the money and go buy drugs or booze or whatever, right? And I realized that if I was giving money only to people that I knew, I would would use it in the way I wanted them to use it. That condition, I'd, I'd do it less times. And so I added that unconditional giving. And I actually talked to my dad about it right before he passed away uh, a couple of years ago of COVID actually. Um, and he said, yeah, unconditional is the way to give more because whether they take advantage of you or not, if they do what you want them to do or not, it's not about that. It's about helping. And then the other motto that I have is in victory, be gracious. Right. I'm sorry, in victory, be humble. 
and in defeat be gracious. And those two guiding principles have served anybody well, and it certainly served me well. Mm. It's very interesting. I am rereading the book called Principles by Ray Dalio. <laughs> the best. A, a great self-made multi-billionaire, very successful guy by any stretch of imagination. And the part where I left off the book last night, he talks about strategic giving. He is actually very, very strategic about the way he gives away his billions. Yeah. And he says that it feels like a full-time job to figure out how to give right. People who have built significant wealth actually have hard time distributing that wealth should they choose to like Bill Gates of the world and Warren Buffett and Ray Dalio. And said it's hard. You always want to help more than your resources allow, despite the fact that he is worth $17 billion or something like that. And he, just as Warren Buffett and Gates and so many others, have decided to leave very little for their relatives, their kids, spouses, et cetera, and give it all away. I said it's it's quite a challenging task to do so. Have you run into that issue or do you just give unconditionally? Well, you know, my wife, Gina, and I, I've actually talked about that because we do a lot of community-based giving and volunteering. I'm, I'm on the YMCA board. I was first on Metro. Then I actually resigned to go to a, a smaller part of the Metro East LA because I wanted to be on the ground. And, you know, we were just at the, the downtown Los Angeles mission, more Gina than me. I went where they're speaking to kids who came across the border with one adult have no home and they're sheltered and you're like what do you need how can we help and they need everything right interesting they said we just need bottled water we don't have enough water i'm like oh so what do you do with that right you're like it's an unending open pit of need that you could shovel in everything you have and we both are very much you know we're not going to help everybody but we can help somebody and so we don't look at there's a million people hungry if we can't feed a million people then let's not do it there's a million people hungry and we feed as many as we can and do your best and you encourage other people to do it too and post about it and put it on social media, not with a shaming or whatever, but come join us, bring your children, teach them about this and you live, you know, you just, otherwise you're miserable, right? If you're only happy when everybody has no problem, (laughs) you're miserable. So you do what you can and you, you are grateful for what you have and the blessings you have. Don't ever get ahead of yourself. We all do. We all, Mike, what's it like to have uh, no ego? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I think I'm the greatest thing since like bread, right? But you do have to take a step back and realize that there's always somebody bigger, better, stronger, richer, good, better looking, better speaker, faster, that, that, that. 
So you just take a step back, do what you can, help somebody, and do it again and again and again. Can you connect the dots? How being charitable helped you succeed? I'm a big believer in karma. I'm a big believer in the universe. And, you know, I'm spiritual. I, I mean, I grew up as a, you know, preacher's kid. So ultimately I came back to that. Um, but um, I believe that if you want money, you give money away. If you want respect, I know people say you earn respect. You do, but you're not going to get respect unless you give respect. Um, if you want love, you got to give love. And I believe that giving is the best way to get back things. And I, I've, I've never been disappointed, never been regretful of helping or giving. And, you know, in a business standpoint, I, I could name probably certainly once a month, maybe even once a week, somebody calls me and says, you don't know me. You helped me do something that 10 years ago. I'd always wanted to work with you. Can I mean it? It, and again, it's unconditional, right? I'm like, I will help you no matter what happens in the future. But it happens, right? And um, so that just allows me to keep going, keep helping. But I, there's no downside. Thanking someone, being pleasant, really appreciating someone, writing them a personal note, thanking them helping them in whatever way you can without looking over their shoulder as to who's the next person that you can step on them to get to the next person. I mean, would you appreciate that if I legitimately cared about you and helped you and not said, hey, let me look over your shoulder and see if there's somebody more important that I can talk to? Everybody responds to that. That happened to me the other night. I was at a party and, and I, Gina and I, and I left and I said, did you, did you feel like, you know, people were just talking to you to try to get to the next higher up rung? And she's like, God, I kept looking over, looking. So we left. So in a way, they punish themselves. I'm sorry? Because in a way, they punish themselves because they're okay. missing out. I, right. You know, but at the same time. It was great because it tells you exactly what kind of person they are. And, and we realized, hey, thanks for doing that up front. So we didn't have to spend 30 minutes figuring out that we didn't we didn't want to be with you. Right? <laughs> it's interesting. This is the most spiritual conversation I've had on this podcast. And I've been doing this for over a year, week in and week out. I think this is probably episode 60 something. And I've never had a spiritual conversation like this one. Yeah. You know, also, what you said reminded me of a story, and I'm going to paraphrase it. Evan, is I don't remember it word for word by a long shot. There was a woman, and I believe the story takes place during World War II, and her husband was fighting on the Eastern Front, and I believe his division, division, not the guy, division, over the course of a year, was decimated completely. Her husband was the only one who survived. Went through the whole war, came back home, 
in one piece. No limbs missing, nothing. And somebody asked her, why do you think he is the only one who lived looking for something? Like, hey, was he hiding in the bushes? Did right. he do something to do this? And she said, I prayed that all the people who shot at him would come home alive. So when you talk about karma, the universe, everything being connected, it's kind of sort of like that. Yeah. She did it unconditionally and she prayed for the enemy instead of praying for her husband. Yeah. I'm not a scholar on Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, but I was listening to Jaco podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with that guy or not. Yeah, the he, Navy SEAL. Yeah, the Navy SEAL. He is uh, one of the most recent episodes. He had a scientist who is also a devout Catholic. And he talked about one of Jesus' teachings, which was love thy enemy, which is, according to that guy, the ultimate way of taking control over any situation, no matter what kind of adversity you're facing. Mm -hmm. Love thy enemy. That woman in that story, she embodied, she did that. And it is possible because karma and universe and everything being connected. Her husband yeah. was the only one from that division who came home. So yeah. I'm a huge believer in charity giving. My friends, my very close friends, who guys I've been friends with for over a quarter of a century, piss me off regularly because they don't. So I push them. And sometimes they do because I push them. But it's interesting. You say that half give and half don't. I have a suspicion that it's a lot less than half that do. And a lot more I, than half do. And you know, I, it's interesting. Uh, I have become, you know, I'm a hardcore litigator. I'm a trial lawyer, right? I, 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 I have the thirst for blood of cross-examination. It's like gets my juices flowing. And my wife, I, I don't know if you've watched some of my wife Gina's stuff, but it, she's a killer, right? She's a, that woman. I ain't going up against her, but, and she's one of those <coughs> as giving and as wonderful as she is. She's like, Hey, they're not going to use it to go get food. They're going to go get booze or whatever. And I say, so I'd rather have four people go out and buy booze and six people go out to buy food and give it to 10 people. And she understands that, but she also understands that, you know, if you put conditions on it. And so maybe she doesn't give to people that in that situation where I would, but at the same time, she would go above and beyond on something that I don't, you know. So it's, it is different strokes for different folks. I get that. And, you know, when I have people say, well, don't give them money because they're going to buy booze. I'm like, well, then give them food. So have you ever brought, brought home leftovers and handed them to somebody on the side? I mean, you know, there's just a lot of different ways. And I... I I'm hesitating, hesitating because this isn't about preaching and it's not about shaming or you should do whatever. I mean, do what works for you. But I got to say, in my personal opinion, 
every time I've ever volunteered and every person that I have posted and somebody's come down and volunteered without question, I said, this was one of the best things I've ever done and I, I should do it more. And then I say, well, shoulds and woulds and coulds and tries don't mean shit, but I get it. And next time, bring your kids. We've brought our children and it's been a wonderful experience for them too. You know, it's great perspective. It's very interesting that you brought up kids into this. And Dalio, he talks about doing charitable work and donating money as a family activity. Yeah. Every one of his now three kids, I know one of them passed away a couple of years ago, but his three kids and his wife, they do it as a family activity. They plan their charities and how they're going to donate and where they're going to contribute. So they take it very, very seriously. So yeah. one, one idea that you did give me, I, uh, I donate quite a bit financially, but I do not volunteer. And one common thread among many financial and otherwise successful people is that in addition to financial contributions, they actually volunteer their time and their skills. And what I do know, I haven't done that, so I'm definitely going to put that on my to-do list for 2024. We're recording this at the very end of 2023, is to actually volunteer. One thing that I do know that a lot of successful people will band together. They go to the same places and they will volunteer together. So if you do not do that, one of the ways to meet people who are just like you, successful, striving, wanting to help others, connect with those people is to volunteer. And you know, there's uh, the Volunteers of America. I think it may be even be like volunteer.org. Um, just go on the website and there are volunteer opportunities in whatever area that you're interested in, right? If you do uh, <coughs> Habitat for Humanity, if you want to do food banks, and it's interesting. I mean, you you can even get on a mailing uh, email list. And there's just, there's a lot of opportunities. It's, uh, it's not, um, it's not impossible to find. And once you start looking and you start you start actually devoting some effort to learning about it, you'll find, hell, follow me. Follow me and I'll post about, come down and join me if you're in the LA area or in Louisiana when I'm here. I mean, um, I'd love to show you around. What's your handle on Instagram? I know that you do a lot of work so on Instagram. Mike Mike.alder. And my YouTube channel is Alder, A-L-D-E-R, talk, Alder Talk. I mean, I have a web, I have a firm one as well, but if you go to Mike.Alder and Alder Talk, you'll get pretty much everything. Yep. And um, reach out. Happy to help anybody out there or uh, to, you know, connect people. Yeah. There's another point. There's another benefit to being charitable and donating money and time and effort and skills, and that is... In general, it will make you happy to help others. Happier than almost anything else. And yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very easy to do. Every major religion teaches to donate 10%. If you have 10% that you can give away, great. If you can, even donating 20 bucks. That's a contribution that you didn't have to do, but by just volunteering to give up that money will make you feel good. Guaranteed. We tell people a lot. You want to be happy. You want to be. You want to get out of a bad mood. Help somebody, somebody and or smile and sit up straight. 
Ah, oh, you're oh. Still, you're that's voodoo. You're like a yogi, whatever. I'm like, try it. Try to be un, unhappy if you sit up straight and smile for thirty seconds. Just try it. Uh hey, Mike, that worked pretty well. <laughs> I get it. I know I ain't dumb. It, it's easy things that can really help you out, no matter what you're going. Through. Absolutely. Practic practicing gratitude every morning, whether you're a religious person or not, saying thank you and putting a smile on your face, even if it's a difficult day, even if it's a difficult year or decade, will still help you out get through the day easier than otherwise. I completely agree. And, and I know you have people watching that are not lawyers. You have all different kinds of, of business and whatever. And I, I talk about that on my Instagram and YouTube channel, it's not just legal based because I realize the things you're talking about, the stuff that I'm talking about, that consistent routine, how to create repetitive things that help you be more efficient, use less mental willpower to accomplish more, is the, and keeping in a mindset that is positive is a universal thing for any business, any person. And, um, you know, juxtapose that against the 90 to 95% of people that start and never and stop, right? Who aren't that. And so I tell people in any business, you build these habits, you build this consistent behavior, you build the proper mindset, you take care of your body, your mind, your health, and you go through those routines. You don't have to compete with everybody in your industry. You just have to compete with the five to 10% in your industry that will do it like you do consistently. Because over time, people flash up and down. They market and they go away. They, all this stuff, you know, the people that you see that you say, oh my God, they're killing it. Nine out of 10 of those people are gone in six months, a year, you know, and, and people don't understand that. Right. Cause it's not flashy and sexy and whatever, but you know, ask Ray Dahlia, right? He didn't make all of his money in, you know, inventing one thing and a year later he's worth $17 billion. I mean, he, like everybody who doesn't hit the lottery, they all have very similar things in common. It took him about 30 years to hit the lottery. Three decades, yeah. give or take. Right. I, I forget what how, I forget how that goes, you know. So, so I've worked I've worked all my I've worked all my life to be an overnight success. Yeah, that's exactly it. So so he was successful in his own leap, but it was not until two thousand eight when a lot of his financial predictions came true. Then he became really successful. Yeah. Then he just went through the stratosphere. But before that he was successful, just not wildly successful. So three decades of very consistent effort and then an overnight success. If you don't mind, if you don't mind sharing, what are your success habits every day? What is it that you do consistently 365 days a year? Well, I don't do it 365 because, you know, there's sometimes when, you know, I got a six month old that it changes. But I have written routines that I follow. I, um, under a usual case scenario, I get up at 4 a.m. Um, I have already set out water that I start drinking a gallon of a day. 
I've set out my workout clothes. Um, I weigh myself so that I, right, I take a cold shower first thing, have a cup of coffee. And then depending on if the baby's up, and, but if, if it's a normal, I have whatever I do, um, I, I will work out for 45 minutes. I will journal. I will meditate. I will do a focus practice for uh, 10 to 15 minutes where I concentrate on something pretty, beautiful, a bouquet of flowers or an artwork, push out my thoughts, push out, continue to come back to exercise my mind. So I've exercised body and mind. Um, I'm learning Spanish, so I go to Duolingo. I um, have chickens and goats at both Los Angeles and Louisiana, so I take care of them. And by six o'clock, I have accomplished quite a bit. I watch a YouTube video on something that I'm interested in every every day. So now I've learned a lot about ChatGPT. I listen to a fiction book. I listen to something in the legal thing, and I and I I usually do that every day. Sometimes you know I'm in trial or whatever it takes over, but but the point is. I write it down. I do it. It takes about a month and a half to two months for it to become a habit. And the reason I make it a habit is so I don't have to think as much about doing it, right? That first cold shower, I mean, I was exhausted by the time I convinced myself to get out. I'm like, oh, this bed is warm. I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, it doesn't work. Uh, I mean, I'm like, shit, get in the damn shower. You know, now it's not even on my radar. And I, and I use the example of the first time you went to school or to work or to, you're looking at your phone and you're stressing the hundredth time. You still did the same thing. You just, it's not even a thought, right? And so being able to do things that reduce the amount of mental Time gives you that mental time to do other things in your day, and so you become more efficient. And so, and then I'm a big proponent of choosing my suffering. Right, I choose to suffer. I choose to push. I choose to to experience, not in a sadomasochistic way, but pain. Right, I I figure out ways to push myself because I know that there's going to be unchosen suffering times, times when I, <coughs> I'm, I'm going to suffer and I teach myself that I can survive. I can teach myself that I, and I don't, I don't want to overstate that, right? I'm not like putting nails in my arm or anything, but you know, I'm, so I, I ran a marathon. Because I said I couldn't run a marathon, and I said that to my girls, and I'm like, uh, you know what, girls, I can do anything that I want, and so, you know, that was not a fun experience for me, but I did it. Now I'm on a 75 hard kick. Now and then I did a this kick. You got to balance being kind of a nut job, but also not being a nut job, right? And but I realized it's regimented. How you do anything. That's how you do everything. everything. Right? So I make my bed. Why do I make my bed? Because, you know, I I teach at a law school and 
some of the students asked me, how do you be a great trial lawyer? And I said, make your bed every morning, take a cold shower. And they're like, what? What? And I said, that discipline every day translates in every way about your life. And if you're not going to be able to do that, you're not going to stay up and study and cram and learn and fight the way you need to fight. And so, <coughs> you know, these are all universal things. But as Jim Rohn famously said, <laughs> what's easy to do is even easier not to do. Yeah. So most, most people wouldn't. Let me ask you this. You do all of these things. <coughs> How much time do you have to spend with your children? A lot. I have a, and I love it. I take my kids to school with my wife whenever possible, unless there is a catastrophic event that prevents me. I'm out of town with trials or whatever. I make sure we do that. But see, that's another thing that I'm, I'm a, uh, <clears throat> a whole mindset change away. I have plenty of time to do whatever I want. And if you just calculate the time, there's 168 hours in a week. You know, I sleep seven hours, usually seven to eight. Let's say you sleep eight hours a night, seven. And let's say you work eight hours a day, Monday through Friday. Doing that, after that, after sleeping and eating, I mean, sleeping and working, you still got nine to nine and a half hours a day Oh, well, okay, I got a commute. Well, my commute's not that long, but let's say you had a an hour commute. Uh, I got to eat. Okay. Another hour and a half to eat. You still got seven, seven and a half hours in a day. Oh, I got to get dressed. I got to go to the bathroom. I got to, okay. Six hours, five hours. Where does that five hours a day go? Right. Well, that's where you phone and your TV and whatever. So if I schedule time with my kids of an hour or two, I got plenty of time. If I don't schedule it and I fit it in when I have nothing else to do, then it's much more difficult to do that. And again, once it becomes a habit, right, I've made a commitment. And I did not do this with my older kids, and I've, we all have paid that price. But, and you know, I'm making up for that. But I don't think anybody out here is probably alone in that, right? Um, but I've learned, and so I'm like, I'm bringing, my, I'm spending time with my kids as much as I can until otherwise. And, you know, I've, it's interesting. My competitors have actually tried to say that that means I'm taking my off, eye off the ball and thus Mike's distracted, so come with me and whatever. I mean, I get that. But to say that that makes me a better person and a stronger, better advocate in every way and more in touch with reality is the biggest understatement of the world. And spending time with your family and your children does not make you weak. It makes you strong. And if you don't believe that, then I probably don't want to talk to your ass. 
that this has been a very, very <coughs> insightful conversation. Probably this this podcast. I usually talk about business to, through and through. This, this is about been, business. This, this is, is about business. business, but from a very different thing. Very, yeah. very different thing. I often hear from people that I don't have time for this. That I often hear from people that hey, I gotta buy a house next year, so I'm not going to donate to charity until. I buy the house and then I buy the furniture and then I buy a new car and then I buy. So Never stop. you always hear excuses from people, right? Yet here you are, very successful law business. Not a practice, but a law business. You have generated so much result for your clients and for your law firm. That's it's a business, it's not a practice. Family, six kids, here you are getting up at four o'clock every morning, cold shower, meditation, workout, all of those things. And you have time to spend with your kids almost every night on And you have your home in LA and you have your range in Louisiana, I believe. All of these things. And you have time that you donate to others and you're successful enough to donate funds to others. Like when you listen to this, if you ever think that you don't have the time or other resources to do more, you got to take a really hard look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, how have I been bullshitting myself for the last X number of years or decades? Probably? And I'm happy if anybody sees this and is saying, well, I can't do it. Yeah, Reach yeah. out. I'm, I'm happy to spend time and show you because, you know, we're all blessed with a wonderful life that's very long, but also very short. So um, I'm happy to help whoever figure out how you can find the time to do pretty much anything you want. You're definitely making the most of it. Mike, congrats on your success. Ah, thank you. I appreciate it. This has been nice. It's great for me to, to talk about this stuff because it reinforces it for me. So I appreciate the question. Same for me. And some of the things that you said, I don't do them. It's a great reminder to start. So I I'll really appreciate you now. All right. Do. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.